This morning's reading is taken from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This can be found on page 965 in the Church Bibles. Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Heather, very much. Let's pray. Our loving God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this chance we have to read and reflect and learn from it. Please guide all of our hearts and minds as we listen together. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you were here last week, you'll know that we were looking through the genealogy at those first 17 verses of Matthew's gospel, uh, and uh, we were beginning to understand uh, some of why Matthew put that uh, together there, uh, in particular wanting to underline uh, that uh, Jesus' uh, descent, you know, his, uh, his antecedents uh, go right back to Abraham and David in particular, and highlighting that the promises that were made uh, to Abraham and to David uh, were going to be fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And Matthew uh, talks about Jesus as the Messiah, Uh, the promised one, uh, the anointed one, who will be the inheritor of all of those promises. It was also underlining through that genealogy that God has been a God who has acted in history uh, time and time and time again, often using people that were, uh, humanly speaking, unpromising, uh, who didn't have... Uh, who, in a sense, weren't born into the right family, didn't go to the right school, didn't have the right background. But again and again, God uses the loner and the outsider and the unlikely one uh, to bring his purposes around. And part of that is to get us ready uh, for Joseph and Mary. Uh, I read recently about a Sunday school teacher uh, who uh, wrote about, uh, wrote, she wrote a piece about a boy who was reluctant to be Joseph in the nativity play. And this is what she said. She said, try as I might, 
I could not convince him that playing Joseph was a great honor. Lots of people want to be Joseph, I encouraged. I want to be a soldier and carry a sword, he said. I said, but Joseph is one of the main characters. I want to be a soldier. They get to wear silver armor and carry a sword. I've got to wear a stupid tea towel around my head. I'll look like an idiot. And I have to put my arm around Gwendolyn Smithlethwaite. And the other boys say I'll love her and I don't love her. <laughs> Keeping an arm's length between him and Gwendolyn, he did it, tea towel and all. Doing things you don't really want to do is what makes a man of you, I told him afterwards. I'm proud of you. We could hear every word and you didn't forget a line. He grunted. The ordeal was over. But, she said, I wondered whether the real Joseph had been equally reluctant to play his part in the first nativity. Here's the story in Matthew. It is told, isn't it, through Joseph's eyes, as opposed to Luke, who tells us the story of Jesus' birth through Mary's eyes. And you'll see in verse 18 uh, that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. That lovely old English word. Uh, now, betrothal, as you probably know, was this really solemn contract between a man and a woman. It lasted about a year, uh, and uh, it, it, was a, the, it was the time running up uh, to the marriage. And it was so solemn and binding uh, that uh, the Jews used the word divorce to describe what would happen if within that year a man and a woman decided to go their separate ways. It was a chaste year, though, in preparation for the marriage. Now, we have to go to Luke to hear about the story from Mary's point of view. In Matthew, we simply hear that Mary is pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And in verse 19, uh, we see uh, that Joseph is understandably distressed. Joseph no more believed uh, that uh, Mary was pregnant through the Holy Spirit uh, than we would be if our daughter or our granddaughter came and said the same. Uh, people knew exactly where babies came from uh, then as now, and he would have understandably have uh, thought, well, uh, this child must belong to another man. The appealing thing about Joseph uh, was uh, that he could have, in a sense, publicly shamed Mary. Uh, certainly you can imagine uh, that as a a, a, a would-be husband, as a man who was presumably falling in love with her, that he must have felt at, at the time deeply cheated. And so it would have been very seductive uh, to have, uh, in a sense, opened her to public disgrace. But he's too decent and loving a person uh, to do that. Uh, and so he decides, as it says there, to divorce her quietly rather than making a huge, great deal of it. And it's only then, Matthew tells us, only after he's made that decision that he gets the angelic visit. And after that dreadful period of insecurity and soul-searching, uh, he gets uh, the message. The angel confirms what we know from Mary in Luke's Gospel, that her pregnancy is a miraculous one, uh, that she will give birth to a son, and they are to name him Jesus, uh, which means God saves or God the rescuer. And so there for Joseph, a very in early indicator of what the heart and the soul of Jesus' life will be. 
that he will come as a saviour and a rescuer. And then the verses uh, 22 and uh, 23, Matthew stands back a little bit, really, uh, and gives us some wider context and commentary, sort of inserts himself into the story, uh, as so often he's particularly keen uh, to tie the life of Jesus uh, to uh, the Old Testament. And Matthew, as you remember, writing uh, to a predominantly Jewish audience and so it's helping them, uh, in a sense, connect the dots or follow those threads that go back all the way uh, to the Old Testament. And he quotes from uh, Isaiah 7.14, uh, the virgin uh, will conceive. And so for Matthew, that prophecy from Isaiah, that, as Brian was saying earlier, would have probably originally been about the birth of Hezekiah, but had come over the years to, be, to have a greater weight of expectation upon it. Here's Matthew saying, what Isaiah saw those hundreds of years previously has now been fulfilled amongst us. This miracle that the virgin is with child. Then we're back to the story and we find that Joseph obeys God. He doesn't break off the betrothal. But in Matthew, there's, there's, it's quite Spartan. There's no cousin Elizabeth there's no census, there's no shepherds, there's no innkeepers, there's not even a stable. There's just the intimate and deliberate revelation that Mary remained a virgin until after Jesus was born. And this passage in Matthew, even more than Luke 1 and 2, very clearly presents us with what theologians have often summarized as the virgin birth of Jesus or sometimes just a virgin a conception of Jesus. And we need just to pause and remember and think about the wonder and the implications of that. Matthew, in particular, is unashamed in saying that although Mary and Joseph were engaged, they didn't sleep together either before the angelic appearances or afterwards. Matthew's keen to underline that it was the Holy Spirit the agent of creation uh, in the Old Testament, uh, who brought about a supernatural uh, conception in Mary, one that was without a human father. And for Matthew, this relates intimately to the identity of Jesus. And here in particular, Matthew holds on to two names, uh, Jesus the Rescuer, which is just what uh, Yeshua or uh, Joshua means, God, the one who rescues, and Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. And what a powerful, powerful thing that is, that Isaiah had foreseen all those years before, that when the Messiah came, he would be God with us. But I'm not sure even Isaiah could have foreseen, in a sense, how intimately and completely that would be, God being with us. Not just God alongside us, not just, uh, in a sense, God beginning to understand what we are like, but God becoming human in the fullest and most complete way possible uh, so that uh, he could experience for himself what humanity was about and also so that he could talk to us as directly uh, as possible. And it's worth considering the implications of this belief. The first one is that Matthew and Luke, to a lesser extent, uh, put a defiantly supernatural event at the start of Jesus' life, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, this was known 
only to Mary and Joseph, uh, certainly at the time. Uh, but of course, uh, Matthew has already shown us that we, we have a God who acts again and again and again in history. And so we're, we're not unduly surprised uh, to see this beginning of Jesus' life. Matthew, I think, too, wants us to think about the fact that for Jesus to be our saviour means that Jesus can't just be human. It was vitally important that he was human, but he can't just be human. If he is only human, then he has already become part of the problem. As uh, you know, we were hearing earlier from Dan, we, have, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And if Jesus was simply and merely a human being, then he would have been part of the problem, not the solution. Matthew's opening up for us the twin natures of Jesus, fully human, fully divine. And ever since, the the church has been walking this tightrope between the two in wanting to affirm the truth of both. Jesus, fully God. Jesus, fully human. And at times... Uh, especially in the early church, they insist the danger was that they exalted uh, Jesus uh, as God because they couldn't quite uh, begin to think that God would really and truly lower himself to our level. And of course, more in our time over the last 100, 200 years, we've been tempted to, maybe certainly theologians as a whole have been tempted to elevate Jesus to human being and say, well, maybe he wasn't really God, but he was this wonderful human being. We try, of course, to keep the two in balance and to hold on to them uh, together. Uh, This passage helps us to see uh, the uniqueness of Jesus' beginnings, but of course also his humble identification with us as human beings. We need to remember that if there was no virgin conception and birth, then somebody is making stuff up. And either Mary and Joseph are spinning us a yarn, or Matthew and Luke are doing the same. But if this is not how it happens, then somebody is making stuff up. And if someone's making stuff up, then we have a problem. Now, of course, this is not to be confused uh, by what we uh, see and read uh, in the 4th century and onwards. And that was a doctrine uh, that, that Roman Catholic sisters and brothers do still hold, or certainly some do, uh, but I don't think that's a biblical Doctrine, and that is the doctrine that's called the perpetual virginity of Mary. And that doctrine is that she miraculously remained a virgin even in giving birth to Jesus, and that she and Jesus, she and Joseph never consummated their marriage. And so Mary remained a virgin, and that that was, in a sense, a, a continuing miracle and sign. But of course, that is not what we find in Matthew or Luke. Matthew only says there was no consummation of marriage until Jesus was born. And he tells us that so that we can be certain of Jesus' miraculous beginnings. But the Gospel writers speak freely of Jesus' brothers and sisters and wider family. And to my mind, as an amateur historian, that doctrine of, of Mary's perpetual virginity is driven more by a feeling within the church from the fourth century onwards, a feeling about sex and about human love in a marriage, that somehow sexual love was dirty or was improper and was somehow unbecoming of really holy people. 
And what better way to enforce that than to make Mary the mother of Jesus the poster girl for virginity and the poster girl for abstinence, as well as being the biological mother of Jesus. And not for the first time or the last time, that feels like a lot was expected of one woman, uh, that she was uh, both the biological mother of Jesus, but also the poster girl for virginity and uh, for abstinence. Uh, Jesus and the rest of the New Testament says some really important things about marriage. It says that uh, some of us are called uh, to live celibate lives, but never uh, demeaning uh, the gift of sexual love uh, between uh, a man and a woman, never downgrading them or suggesting, as later on in church history, as though they were improper uh, or uh, dirty uh, or to be avoided. It's Luke that helps us to see the serenity of Mary in the chaos and the pain and the potential humiliation of an unexpected pregnancy. It's Matthew that helps us to see the gentleness and the composure and the decency of Joseph. Joseph, at one remove, always playing second fiddle to Mary, and of course, soon to his son, Jesus often pictured standing awkwardly in the background. But we need to put both Mary and Joseph's story together. And as we put them together, you have a love story. It's an unlikely love story. It's tender. And it is soon eclipsed by their son, Jesus. But it is a love story nonetheless. And of course, this Christmas, as we stand back a bit, their love story is just a very small part of a much bigger love story. The love story that we have been invited into. And wouldn't it be wonderful if our city and our culture were prepared to hear the story of Christmas as a love story? As one that was full of tenderness and risk, where, in a sense, danger was always lurking, but where because there was great love, so there was great risk. So isn't it lovely that we have in Luke all of that attention and focus on Mary, on her attentiveness, on her thoughtfulness, on on how reflective she was as a woman, as all these events sort of unfolded. Matthew particularly because he's so keen, in a sense, to remind us that Jesus, through Joseph adopting him, that Jesus traces his line right back to David and then right back to Abraham before him. That we see in Joseph just that goodness, that decency, that restraint, and of such beautiful things in the lives of men and women but are often so absent uh, from the lives of men in particular. Beauty, restraint, uh, decency. Yet it's those things uh, that make this tiny love story in the backwaters of Judea uh, at the birth of Jesus so fascinating. And it's those things that can help us rejoice as God's people this Christmas and say, we have been written in to this amazing love story. Amen.